So, if artists were planets, what would your zodiac chart be? Give me your sun, your moon, and your rising. This is inspired from a TikTok no, it's I not. sent you. No, it's not. So I would give you my my main yes. the sun, your sun, the rising, and the moon. Your moon and your rising. This is good. I mean, my main has to be Janice Joplin. Okay, so you're Janice Sun. I'm a Janice Sun. I'm probably an under oath moon. Okay. And a thrice rising. Okay. No, a prince rising. Prince rising. I, that, I'm going to change that. So Janice Sun, under oath moon, and then prince rising. Because I feel like prince is the perfect segue okay. between the two. I would be a queen sun, <laughs> a Taylor Swift moon, ooh, and a Rolling Stones rising. So you're with, going darker for Taylor Swift. With a Freddie Mercury. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> so your Mercury is in retrograde at all times. Someone made that joke in the comments and I had to steal it. So, um, I'm Leah. I'm with them. <laughs> Well, I didn't know you were going to just do the intro that fast. I was taking a sip. <laughs> we'll redo that. I'm Leah. I'm Bethann. And this is She Will Rock You. Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, pull up before I haunt you. Let me turn down the thermostat. This is bad. <laughs> we're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is She Will Rock You. So this is our 50th episode. Woo. Technically, it's like it's like the seventy something yeah. piece of content. But we, have we put don't out. count interviews. Interviews is just fun things yeah. that we do to entertain you all between the main episodes. Yes, and we have hit fifty, which is crazy because we've only been doing this for two years and three months ish. Yeah, three four months. Yeah, and uh, who would have thought? Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Not not me. Not a not us. <laughs> Now, it has been an insane ride. The wildest ride. One I did not think would happen to me in the sense of like, I knew we were going to start this. And of course, because I am a wing three, I had big aspirations, yeah. but I did not see it going this way this fast. No. And I'm happy about it. We have the best fans. We do. We love you all. We have the best community of podcasts that we support and they support us. It has just been, we've gained a family. We have, insert Dominic Toretto family <laughs> quote here. <laughs> that's, that's a niche joke that <laughs> I'm still obsessed with. Um, yeah, we've had so many cool podcast friends come out of this. Yeah. I would, I thought about shouting them all out because, but then I'd forget one and then I feel bad that I forgot you. So if you're our Twitter friend, you know who you are. We love you. Yes. Keep doing you. But also a special shout out to Anthony. Yes. Anthony is our biggest fan. He does have a podcast, so I don't feel bad listing him and like not listing others. Um, thank you. Every day I yes. get a tweet from you and it just makes me happy. That thank you're you. Recommending us to other people and just listening to every episode that we put out. So thank you. Uh, we're going to skip the reviews today because of that. Um, any, what has been your favorite moment in our 50 episodes so far? 
I think my favorite moment. I'm going to go old school. It's our second episode. And we're talking about Journey. And we're talking about a dude named Herb. And I and he Herbie. was the Kool-Aid man. He was the Kool-Aid man. Man, I almost I almost wish we didn't cover that in the second one. Because that was such an amazing moment that was in time. That was first time I couldn't breathe. Because yeah. I, I couldn't get through the sentence. Because it just made no sense. But besides that, I mean, doing it with you. My Aww, best friend in besties. the whole world. Yeah. Dare I even say ride or die? And you know <gasps> I hate that phrase. Ooh, now we got to get it tattooed on us. No. There is probably a bestie tattoo in our future at some point. It's it's the frogs. It's, it I is the cowboy frogs. Or the ghosts. Yeah, the ghosts were cute. Uh, well, you can get... Uh, how about this? You get a black cat with a little ghosty thingy on it. And then I'll get a beagle with a little ghosty thing on it. It's done. I want a black cat <laughs> tattoo so bad. It would be perfect because you would just see like their little ears poking through and then you see a little black tail coming yes. out and then you see the little beagle tail. Yes. This would be a great. This is happening. You're, you're listening to this live. We literally have not discussed this before this no. moment. Um, My favorite moment was the when we opened the Led Zeppelin one. It went, ah. <laughs> What a deep dive because someone tweeted about it. Yes. Who tweeted it? Someone it tweeted was, at us about uh, that I this week. I think it was the, one of the guys at X Radio X. Sorry if it wasn't you. I get a lot. I wake up I every think day you're right to that. To 23 Twitter notifications. Yeah. And I can't keep them straight. I'm sorry. Thank you for taking on social media so I have to deal with that. <laughs> every morning. Uh, I love it though. But yeah, that, that was like just like the cherry on top of that episode. It was yeah. just. I think about it now for the last week, ever since, or it's probably a couple of days. Yeah. Since he tweeted that, and I just remember it and start laughing. Man. It doesn't help that they were playing at, at the car dealership today when I got my oil changed. Oh, yeah. And I just started laughing. <laughs> they were jamming in that they Subaru do. dealership today. They, they, they slap in there. They, whoever curated that playlist, it mm-hmm. had Prince, it had Def Leppard. Yeah. I was listening to something on my phone and I was like, nah, I'm just going to put my earpo- earpods back in the case and listen to their music. It's a way to do it. Um, anyway, if you're new here, welcome. Welcome. We're trying to remember to welcome you <laughs> when we started an episode because we didn't do it for like 47 episodes. Yeah. So um, stay a while. Go back and look at our back catalog. There's a lot there that... Uh, People are rediscovering. Someone rediscovered the Luke episode this week. I think it was Anthony. No. I wrote a joke to open this, but I'm not brave enough to talk about it. <laughs> but Lee and I, you, you and I experienced it together. So we'll leave it between us. There's a reason that this is the topic of the week and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> I was not involved. No. No, only only me and my stupid ass mistakes were were involved. Anyway, so as Leah hinted, I feel qualified to cover this topic now. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't California dreaming. I was Virginia dreaming for sure. In a thunderstorm. Yep. While watching a Queen tribute band. Yep. It was a beautiful moment in our book. In about, I don't know, five years, give it five years. I will write about this experience. (laughs) (laughs) But so you will know then. Until then, you're going to have to wait. Just just fill in the blanks. Yeah. Um, We're talking about 
one of the first psychedelic bands. Also, what I've come to learn, one of the first bands to integrate both female and male singers, and that is the Mamas and Papas. Um, This is a slightly different episode than what we've done in the past, mainly because there's a lot of crazy-ass shit. There's a lot of (laughs) fucked-up shit. So it's pretty much like every other episode. Yes, but I'm not talking about the music as much as I do. Like normally I kind of walk you through albums. I decide not to go that route because there's just so much to cover. So please go like, I'm going to say songs. Just go listen. Okay. It, Maybe it, we'll do. It's pretty good music. We'll resurrect the po- the pl- podcast. God, the Spotify account and yeah. make you a playlist. There you go. Um, but anyway, so there's a lot I felt like we needed to cover. That was a little bit different format than what we've done before. Um, it's also like different in that it doesn't follow the usual story arcs that our artists tend to take. It's essentially like the 60s story with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood slash Quentin Tarantino vibes. Like literally he hints about some scenes we're going to talk about in his movie. Hmm. I did not know how bad it was though. So it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. So anyway, I am going to throw a bunch of triggered warnings in, in this episode. I'm also going to give you some trigger warnings because like I said, there's a lot of fucked up shit that I'm not even necessarily comfortable talking about. But like, anyway, death's happening. There's some Edie and d- dysphoria talk. There's some uh, sexual assault. So just to let you know. The big three. The big three, if you will. But other than that, let's get into it. So I want to talk about each of these artists individually. And I'm going to start with my favorite, Cass Elliot, who has become a, a hero to me as of late. Um, Ellen Naomi Cohen was born on September 19th, 1941 in Baltimore, Maryland, and spent most of her childhood between Alexandria, Virginia, hey. and Baltimore. Yeah, not, not too far away yeah. from us. Her family suffered a lot of financial hardships, and her dad was always like starting businesses, and then they're not succeeding. But he finally did get one off the ground, and it was a lunch wagon to construction workers, so she would help with that a lot. Also, in an interview, or it was an article I read, regardless, she has an IQ of 165. Fun fact. Is that like certified genius level? Pretty much, yeah. She's like, I was watching this interview, and it was weird because you feel like you. I was watching like an academic professor today. Weird. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like just how she carried herself and how she talked. Yeah. It was very like you, you could see it. But anyway, uh, she picked up the name Cass from actress Peggy Cass and settled on Elliot to honor a friend who passed away. So Cass Elliot. While in high school, she picked up an interest in acting and after school was done, she went straight to New York City to find work. Um, she did tour with The Music Man for a little bit. She also was auditioning on Broadway for a show. And she lost out to Barbara Streisand. If you're going to lose out to somebody, yeah, Barbara's a good it, one. It's, it's a good choice. Like It's yeah. kind of like if I lost a role to Cher. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's understandable. It, it's it's not meant to be. You know, if Cher walks in the room, says, I want your job as a podcast host, I say, here's the mic, ma'am. Just pack your bags. Just pack the bags. It's now, she will rock you with Leah and Cher. Like, <laughs> it is what it is, folks. Is what it is, and it's fine. We'll keep you as the editor. Don't worry. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Just put me on the grunt work. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, eventually, though, after doing, like, this stint in musical theater, she would go to college in D.C., where she decided 
to take up singing as more of a career. And at first, she was in the folk scene, which if you were in the early 60s, you're in the folk scene. Um, There's really no other scenes except for maybe country. Which is pretty much the folk scene. Which is pretty much the folk scene. Um, And she formed a trio with Tim Rose and James Hendricks called The Big Three. That group lasted a couple years, um, but after Tim left, the group teamed up with Zal Yanofsky and Denny Dougherty. Keep his name in mind. Um, And they formed my absolute favorite band name, the Mugwumps. That's... Sounds like something out of Harry Potter. I think it is actually something out of Harry Potter. Like I wrote there's in my mug notes. Warts. Oh. But anyway, it's called the Mugwumps. I love it. Um now a little bit of romantic history for you. Nineteen sixty three, so we'll back up a little bit. Cass and John Hendricks get married. Okay. However, it was completely platonic so that he could avoid the draft. So they were married for five years but it wasn't a real marriage it was so he didn't get drafted getting married got you out of the draft i guess so how beats me they literally just got married so that he didn't have to go to war i feel like that's the cheapest way out of getting out of the draft probably i don't blame him but i feel like that shouldn't disqualify you because it doesn't disqualify you from active duty service i don't know that's that's what that's what wiki anyway. said and that's what wiki that's how it goes that's not the point of the show anyway so um i'm not sure if this is during the mug wump phase or not but Cass starts developing feelings for denny which will become important later on but we're gonna pause this story here we love a good interband romance yes oh <laughs> oh <laughs> you don't even know the shit storm we're about to hit Uh, We're going to move on to Michelle Phillips. Holly Michelle Gilliam was born on June 4th, 1944 in Long Beach, California. Now, her mom did sadly pass away when she was five years old because her mom had some like heart issues going back from childhood. But after her mom passed, like she moved a couple times with her dad. They like went to Buffalo, back to California. And then they finally settled in Mexico City for six years. So you can go study sociology. Um, at college there and she said like Mexico really helped her make peace with her mom's passing and learn to be independent which would come important in handy during the uh, psychedelic movement Mm. anyway um, when she's 13 she moves back to California this time to the Los Angeles area and she had to go like to a different couple of high schools because she kept getting uh, she kept skipping class and being expelled so that's good but she did she did play sports and she also found her love of music through piano, cello, and guitar. At 17, she started working as a model, doing ads for companies from beer to bathing suits. And at this point in her life, she gets immersed in the club scene of LA. And at one of those clubs, she meets a man named John Phillips. Pause. On to Denny Dougherty. So Denny was born on November 29th, 1940 in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Not much about him is in his childhood. Basically, he's the dude of the band. You know how there's always one dude vibing? You know? Is he the bassist? No. Okay. He's a singer, but he's just vibing. Like, he just exists. He would be the bassist. Yeah, he would be the bassist (laughs) of this group. Yes, 100%. 
Um, but he grew up in a Catholic household. If that's important to you, he's the John Deacon of them. He is the John Deacon of this group. That is exactly right. Uh, he formed a couple bands in his youth. The first one is called the Hepsters, which is terrible. The second is called the Colonials, which they did end up getting signed to Columbia Records. But I don't know if they were like offended that some Canadians were like calling their band the Colonials, like this iconic American <laughs> phrase, and they just changed it to Halifax Three, which is just a horrible name. Yeah, that sounds like a race car. How dare you take Colonials? It's not like you guys colonized your country. If they're white, they're colonizers. <laughs> That's exactly right. But America, no, we did it first. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, Britain did it first. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. They shortly broke up in 1965, and he moves on to his next venture, which would be the Mugwumps and meets Cass. And that's about it for Denny. So now we're going to talk about John Phillips. And he's last simply because I hate him. But not John Phillips Souza. No, I like him. (laughs) I do not like John Phillips. And you'll see why in a bit. So John Phillips was born August 30th, 1935. In Paris Island, South Carolina, his family moved to Alexandria, Virginia area, where he attended a military school, which was absolute hell for him. Um, He did eventually go to George Washington High School, which is the same school Cass went to, but they never met. I'm pretty sure like they never met. I'm sure in Alexandria, it is a big school. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, they're different ages too. Yeah. Like. If anything, when she's like coming in as a freshman, I think he was leaving as a senior. In high school, he did, he formed a, a what? What did I say? (laughs) (laughs) In high school, he formed a group of bros who sang doo-wops. Okay. That's what I wrote. (laughs) Out of high school, he went to Hampton, Sydney College. that's down here. Yeah. First spell and then he dropped out. And then 1957. He marries the daughter of a wealthy Virginia family named Susan Adams. He has two kids. And then later on, he's like, I'm going to go form a folk trio because it's 1960 or whatever, whatever year it is. That's all there is to do. Yeah. And he calls it the journeyman. It was in this group that he begins to tour to places like California where he meets a Mrs. Holly Michelle Gilliam. Okay. At the age of 17. They begin to have an affair. Nice. Yeah. And this leads him and his wife to divorce. And he marries Michelle when she is 18 and he is 27. Well, at least he waited till she was 18. <laughs> well, kind The bar of. is very low. <laughs> anyway. Um, so we finally arrived at the formation of this singing, not duo, but duo, um, which... To make a long story short, is the combination of Mugwumps and Journeyman. I don't know why they didn't call it Mugwumps Journeyman or Journeyman Discover Mugwumps, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> they need something shorter or easier to say. Mugwump Journey? That's a good name. New band name, I call it. Damn it. <laughs> Mugwump Journey. And it seems like it's going to be this cross world between Pan's Labyrinth and Harry Potter and the Muppets. I'm literally, whenever you say Mugwump, I just think of the Bog of Eternal Stench in Labyrinth. Oh, yeah. That's all I can think about. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so to expound a little bit more here, um, Michelle Michelle and John, they're writing songs together. And since they're both folk bands, they probably met through those connections. I couldn't really get a solid confirmation on that, though. 
But Denny was offered a spot in the new group that John was forming with Michelle. And then Cass hears about it. And she's like, hey, I want to join too. But John originally says no. And why is that besides him being a mugwump of a human? Well, let me tell you. He says no because she's overweight. And in his eyes, she's the band will never be successful. Don't worry. Sixties. Her story gets a lot better. Kind of. Anyway, we'll talk more about that. But she's persistent. Like she follows the group everywhere, even to like the Virgin Islands where they're vacationing. And that was finally the point where they said, Okay, fine. You can be in the band. Because I mean, good for her. Yeah, you know. But to the press, who asked, like, why it took so long for her to join, Cass blamed it on her vocal range and then said to Rolling Stone in, like, 1968, I did get hit on the head by a pipe that fell down, and my range was increased by three notes. What? That's what she says. They were tearing this club apart in the islands, revamping it and putting in a dance floor. Workmen dropped a thin metal pipe and it hit me on the head and knocked me to the ground. I had a concussion and went to the hospital. I had a bad headache for two weeks, and all of a sudden I was singing higher. It's true. Honest to God. I don't believe that. I don't either. I personally believe, like, she was kind of embarrassed by John's actual reasoning. and But that was the best excuse she came up with? She's very specific, though. I don't care. <laughs> that just makes it more believable. Yeah, but anyway, so that's... It breaks my heart, though, that, like, she had to put up a facade. You'll see that through her life. Like, she's always putting up this facade because people are just fucking assholes during that time. Like, absolute fucking assholes. But anyway, Uh, the group first start rehearsing in the Virgin Islands, which is where they, like, really learn to nail down their sounds. Like, John really loved folk, and he is the Jimmy Page of this group, if you will. He's calling the shots. And he just didn't want to give it up because he's so good at it. And the rest of the band wanted to go more in a pop direction. So they landed on this folk pop sound. And like Cass Elliott said in an interview in, in uh, London, I forget who it was, like no one had heard that sound before. So you know, and anyway, so um, they arrive back at LA and they get signed to Dunhill Records. Originally, the group was going to choose the name The Magic Circle, but eventually landed on Mamas and Papas, taking inspiration from good old Hell's Angels because the female members are called mamas, which I did not know. I don't like that. How do you, yeah, how do you feel knowing that Hell's Angels call their female members mamas? I don't like anything about the Hell's Angels after the Rolling Stones yeah. debacle. I really do not understand 60s artist obsession with the Hell's Angels. They were just You there. all realize they're a gang that hurt people. But they were good security. So they fucking, weren't though. They were not. But they thought they were. Yeah. I really, truly don't understand. But they first debut, uh, their first debut was recording um, backing vocals for one of uh, Barry Maguire's albums. And he also helped them make the connection with Dunhill Records. Like one thing, if you've ever heard any of their music, like their harmonies are just incredible. Like they're just impeccable. I argue Cass Elliot is what made those harmonies good because she has a lower voice. She has a control of mm-hmm. voice. Um but yeah, their harmonies are just bar none. They're just amazing. Um, so they released their first song in 1965. In November of 1965, it's called Go Where You Want to Go. It does not chart. So it did not go where they wanted it to go. But um, <laughs> So they try again. 
and they released a single, California Dreamin'. If you do not know that song, you are lying to yourself. <laughs> like, for some reason, I have this memory of this song in elementary school. Like, they used to play it in elementary school. For some reason, I can only think of the... Was it in a raisin commercial at some point? Probably. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, those terrifying California the California, raisins. yeah. Because yeah. it's California. Yeah. I think you're. I think you're right on that. It's uh, that is the memory associated with this song in my head. So there you go. It might be a Mandela effect. We don't know. But anyway, um, so this song was first recorded by John and Michelle together, but it found new life in Mamas and Papas. Um, it's also worth noting, like how crazy a second single took off because that we don't really see that a lot. Um, but like it, they released in December. It didn't start charting until like January of 1966. Okay. And the song was originally written in New York when they were living in New York. And Michelle was like, you know, dreaming about warm California weather. But basically how it got launched so fast was they sent the record to a California company. I'm sorry, a uh, radio station. And they were like, meh, it's fine. They sent it to Boston, and Boston's like, oh, yeah, turn this shit up. They're like, <laughs> we're cold, too. Yeah, and so there you go. And that's where it shot up from there, and it reached number four on the Billboard 100. It's like number 23 in the UK, and it's certified gold. And like I said, this is like a new sound for the 60s. No one had really heard this before, especially their type of harmonies. Um, so it was definitely taken in a new direction, and it gave way to the psychedelic rock scene, because that's coming shortly after. Um, but this song would appear on their first album, If You Can Believe Your Eyes and Ears. This also contained the hit Monday Monday, which is um, their only number one single, oddly. Um, it also won a Grammy for Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals. Very I long like title. That group with vocals was a category. Yes. <laughs> as opposed to Group Without Vocals. Yes. Um, the album has been listed as numbers 117 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums in 2012. I doubt it's still there, but it was at one point. Um, really briefly, my favorite fact about this album is the cover. Because 60s music really does have the best al album covers, best vinyl covers. And this one, like, is tamed by those standards. But upon its initial release, it so the band is in the bathroom. And they're all in a tub together. They're all clothed. Yeah. It's just a cute little like, hey, you know, you just hang out with your friends and you get in a tub and you take a goofy photo. Yeah, yeah. But there's a toilet next to it because it's in a bathroom. Yeah. That toilet, something about it got 60s people up in arms. And I don't know if it's because opposite sex people were in the tub. Like, but it was that toilet. It was that toilet that was considered indecent. That's amazing. And it got basically threatened to get taken off the shelves. So eventually they started like covering up the toilet with like a sticker that said featuring California Dreamin. And then hits like Monday, Monday and California Dreaming so that people would put on the shelves. Is the toilet with the lid up or the lid down? It doesn't really like it's a doesn't have a lid. It's just a toilet. Oh, it's like an old bathroom school bathroom. toilet. Okay. If, if you can imagine that. They're just pressed by this toilet for no good reason. It does, like I said, it doesn't matter if the opposite sex people are in a tub together. It's the toilet. It's the toilet that bothers them. But Y'all okay. were not okay in the 60s. No. No, they're not. So this next section is rightly called sexual tension. 
because everyone in the band is fucking. Yeah, exactly. So we'll start with Cass Elliot. Remember how I told you she loves Denny? Yeah. Unfortunately, Denny does not love her back because he's having an affair with Michelle. And supposedly, according to an interview with Michelle in a Vanity Fair, Michelle and Denny would play footsies under the table while discussing parts for the next songs without Cass and John knowing about it. Ew. Her own husband in the Ew. room. Um, but eventually the affair is found out. Cass is devastated and actually went to Michelle and was like, I don't get it. Like, you could have any man you want. Why do you have to take mine? Like, she was really pissed off. And I understand. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. Um, but that didn't really stop Cass from pursuing him. Like, she even proposed marriage to him at one point, And he, like, flat out rejected her. But Cass deserves better. Like I said, he is the John Deacon of the group. He's just vibing. He's just vibing. And she's a star. You know what I mean? She's the Freddy. She's the Freddy. <laughs> He's the John. She has better places to be. We need the we need the we need the John Deacons. Yeah, we need him. We need them, but you know when, when but you're the two a Freddy, of them can't be in love. That's exactly it. You nailed it on the head. <laughs> you can't have a John and Freddie situation. No. That, that's what we want to avoid. Um, I don't also know where this fits in, so I'm going to put it here. She does have a daughter in 1967, which she like kept the identity of the father hidden for the longest time but when her daughter got older um michelle helped locate her biological dad and it was a session guitarist for the band Ooh, so she obviously had a good rebound (laughs) anyway so back to this affair john finds out they reconcile but then michelle has another affair i think they were she had to be having these two affairs at the same time because she Believed in free love, according to an interview. And she was heartbroken. And she was heartbroken. Um, so she started having an affair with Gene Clark of the Birds. And this resulted in John Phillips kicking his own wife out of the group in 1966 while they were working on their second album. Because that's a good idea. Yeah. Imagine the fucking tension in that house this is i mean people think that fleetwood mac had some tension this is worse yeah this is thousand times worse and like was it right for her to have an affair absolutely not but was john acting completely fairly no No. because he's making an emotional revenge-based decision and so they brought in another singer Named Jill Gibson, who is the girlfriend of Lou Adler, who is the producer of Nutton Hill Records. Okay. She said in an interview, because I read a whole thing that she sat down with um, a website, that like she just happened to be there. And it was kind of those situations where she's like, like John had to convince her to join it because she was like, I'm not getting in the middle of this. Yeah, yeah. And John's like, no, Michelle's never coming back in the band. That's settled. And she was like hesitant because she's like, all right, fine. If you can tell me like she's not coming back and it's going to be cool that I'll come in. And then two months later, Michelle's back. Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, the the uh, fans said, no, you bring her back. And Rightfully she, so. And she came back and Joe was compensated for her work. And that was it. She's in it for two months. Um, anyway, the next album that they have is called the mamas and papas it's just self-titled that's one they're working on um jill said that she recorded 10 songs for that record it's unclear if michelle record re-recorded those parts or not to this day no one really knows what jill sings on what michelle sings on interesting 
Um, as far as for the artwork, collectors have had a field day with this. So at first, they had already shot the album cover with Michelle. And they tried to superimpose Jill in the most beta version of Photoshop ever, whatever the 60s they version like, is. They, they cut out her photo and taped it yeah. into the other photo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then made copies. But if you look at like, because they're literally like in this like windowsill almost and Michelle's like sitting in the windowsill. That's pretty damn hard to superimpose another human. They're not like on there. a green screen or something. Exactly. So that didn't work. So they shot a completely different album cover and they went ahead and renamed the whole album Crash and Scream and All Fall Down. A few thousands of those were sent to record stations like as a, you know, press thing. Mm -hmm. But Michelle was back in the band before they did their official release. So they just went back to square one. But those things go for a pretty penny. I'm sure they do. Yeah, because there's only a couple thousand of them printed. Um, here's something else really interesting about like this era for like Jill was around for a little bit. She said that she only did five shows with the group. And for each of those shows, John made everyone take drugs in the band. Okay. Made them. And... I mean, I'm sure it wasn't very hard to convince someone in the 60s, but still, ter- terrible leadership experience here. <laughs> Don't do this drugs. Is, this is not leader of the year, okay? Um, but even when they were doing late night recordings, they would have to take drugs to stay awake. Like John would like say, you have to take drugs to stay awake. Um, but anyway, those are just some interesting stories. I'm not going to talk too much about the accolades because there's not much about it. So John and Michelle, obviously... Not only do they reconnect as bandmates, but they become, you know, reconnect as partners as well. Things are still rocky, though. Like, they never get back into it. And John just deteriorates from there and continues to be a piece of shit human. But anyway, <laughs> um, in 1967, the band not only decides to make another album called The Mamas and Papas, yeah, The Mamas and Papas Deliver, um, which I also don't have too much time to cover. There's also not a lot about it either. But they... John and Michelle and their longtime record producer friend Lou Adler decided to create an event called Monterey Pop Festival. Hey, we know that. We do know that. Um, we also can go ahead and title this the beginning of the end for the band. Dun dun dun. One, they are completely stressed. Two, they are completely unrehearsed because site one, stress. <laughs> also, they're doing drugs when they are rehearsing. Yes. So you're not going to remember what you rehearsed. Correct. So nothing good is going to come out of this. And their performance like was not that great. According to like, I don't know, the scholars. Um, John was still reeling from Michelle's affair. So he's drinking on top of the drugs. It's never a good combo. Yeah. And, you know, their fruits of labor, though, did provide one good thing, which is Janis Joplin was discovered at that event and Jimi hendrix and Jimi hendrix so it was all worth it in my book yeah two of the best artists came out of that event but after monterey pop um we're gonna fast forward a little bit to 1968 here the band is planning some shows across the pond in the uk and they want to just get their inspiration flowing again and up to this point they're not really getting along um however the night before one of the shows Cass Elliot is arrested for stealing some blankets and a key from a hotel. Britain takes that very seriously, apparently. 
Well, also, that's back when it was like a physical key. That's true. So you couldn't get that. I'm sure there were other copies, but... Very true. So, and there was like an unsettled bill, but she gave her friend the money, but that friend never paid it. So friend. Yeah, what a friend. But she was acquitted because who the fuck has time to go to trial over some bed sheets? (laughs) Britain. And (laughs) they throw her an acquittal party. I I think it's at Mick Jagger's house. That's incredible. And um, and so she's talking to Mick Jagger about the event, and here comes Mouthy Johnny, basically accusing Cass of lying about how the event went and so on and so forth. And that event at the '60s drug party over bed sheets arrest led to <laughs> Cass screaming at John and the band breaking up. Over some sheets. Over well, really over John being an well, asshole, but you know the 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 spark that lit the flame of rebellion was the crumb trail was sheets, drugs, John, probably Mick Jagger somewhere in there. I don't know where I'm going to place yes. him, but yeah, that's the that's the crumb trail to them breaking up. Um, but yeah, Cass like told the press, "We're done. This is it." So they canceled their shows. Um. And they both, like, all four pretty much go to separate corners of the world. Like, I think Cass went to Paris. John and Michelle went to Morocco. And then he went back to the United States. But they do get, when they all kind of, you know, regroup and go back into the United States, they were able to pull it together for one last album called The Papas and the Mamas. I don't know if I like that or hate that. Yeah. But then after that, they were done. That was it. We are excited to share that the female DIY musician has asked us to tell our listeners about an exciting opportunity they have for female identifying musicians. They will be awarding four fully funded scholarships for their trailblazing online course, the Home Recording Academy. Two scholarships will be awarded to musicians who identify as non-white, and another two will be given to musicians who identify as disabled, including living with a chronic illness. Home Recording Academy is a seven-module online course teaching female-identifying musicians how to record their music from home. What makes this program unique is its focus on both overcoming music technology mindset blocks alongside a step-by-step core learning framework and a thriving course community. Since its launch in April 2020, almost 200 women have graduated, with many having since self-released music self-recorded through the skills gained inside the program. Applications will be accepted from August 30th to September 6, 2021, and are open to female-identifying musicians from anywhere in the world who identify as non-white and or disabled. For more information, visit femalediymusician.com forward slash scholarships. We're going to take it back a little bit. Back to 1992. Oh, yeah, that song. It was like almost on my list, but it just didn't make it. All right, you're bringing in wrestling references now. Oh, yeah, I'm going to bring in a little bit of everything. I heard that song so many times at a strip club. Who hasn't heard it at a strip club? I'm sure it's being played at some strip club right now. I know it's a Christmas song. <laughs> yeah, you went weird on this, Brian. I'm sorry. Bro, this is left field, man. I don't care. It is such a great song. What's up, everyone? This is Gomez. And I'm Brian. And we're the dynamic duo and co-hosts of Playlist Wars. A podcast where we, along with a special guest, pick a musical artist, band, or topic, and each create a 10-song playlist that we feel 
best represents them. Then we turn it over to you to vote for which one of us got it right. You can find us at PlaylistWarsPodcast.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. Usually we end our episodes here, we talk about legacy, but I have like four more pages to go because like this is when this is this is when shit starts hitting the fan. Okay. Like you thought we covered some crazy shit. Buckle up. So, you know, the band's broken up. This is the 60s. We're approaching 1969. Where are the cults? Well, Uh. I have a story for you. Because we're picking this up in 1969. And Cass Elliott has become a popular person. She's hosting these elaborate parties in LA. Michelle's having an affair again. John is probably doing drugs and seething in the corner because Cass is doing better than him and becoming a real solo act. And I don't know where Denny is, but I imagine he's at a Denny's eating a Grand Slam at 2 a.m. And at one of those parties, I'm I'm not sure when exactly... But a man by the name of Charles Manson attends oh, those parties. This is our first Manson mention. But wait, there's more. I don't know why I'm excited about this because it, it involves death. I feel bad. It's a real event. It's Charles Manson, though. But then the man that Michelle's having an affair with is Roman Polanski, husband of Sharon Tate. So when the Sharon Tate murder happens, Roman immediately points the finger at John Phillips immediately what? and says this was revenge and could you blame him the fuck he's emotionally incompetent but anyway then the police come in and say no 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 it was a cult it, but it y- was a cult it was a cult but yeah isn't that nuts so like they talk about a little bit about Cass Elliot and her parties in the movie that's um, crazy I don't know if Charles Manson was at that party but anyway it's just a wild story um but now we're going to talk about after the band a little bit more and we're going to talk about John. You're now going to find out why I don't like this dude. If the rest, the rest was not, wasn't good enough, the rest wasn't good enough, but him and Michelle do eventually divorce, which is probably the right move because there's some toxicity on both sides. Yes. A little bit more on one side, but you know, um, he remarries a couple times. He gets really bad into doing drugs, like to the point his fingertips begin turning black, which I did not know that was something that could happen from drugs. That does not sound healthy. No. So he goes to rehab and whatnot. Then in the 80s, he forms a new troupe called the New Mamas and Papas. Because <laughs> he's trying to relive the glory days. And it's him and three other new members, one of those members being his eldest daughter, Mackenzie. They didn't last too long at all. Eventually, he passes away in 2001. And welcome to the section of why I do not like him. And I'm going to put a big sexual assault trigger on this. Please feel free to pass this section. It will probably be over in five minutes. But after, like a few years after he passes, his daughter Mackenzie accuses him of incestual rape for 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. This poor thing. And he would inject drugs into her and he would take drugs And then she got pregnant and didn't know who the father was and had to have an abortion. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, after that, she's like, I have to fight for this. I'm not going to let this happen. But it's just so fucking messed up. And, like, history has shown this this dude was not good. Yeah. He was not a good dude. I mean, just look at his track record. 
Like, I don't like to judge people, but look at the track record. So don't come at us in the reviews and try to defend him. I will stand by every... (laughs) I have literally outlined this dude's life for you. Like, he's not a good dude. Anyway. Um, Michelle, on her end, she went into acting and actually had a successful career. Good for her. And Denny pretty much had a family and brought them to Denny's for a grand slam. He did the John Deacon thing. He did John Deacon. He just wanted to live a peaceful life. And he moved on. So I want to end this story about Cass Elliot. I really want to shine a light on her struggles and how the industry treated her. And once again, this is some really triggering language about like weight stigma and fat phobic remarks. So please feel free to skip this section. I will not be offended in the slightest. Um, but I'm also going to go in and give you some hot ass takes. <laughs> some piping hot tea. There was some, there was some, uh, you know, the skim. The skim actually talked about this today in their article and did a whole write up about weight stigma. And it was just the fuel I needed to finish this section. Before I talk about it, though, let's talk about how awesome she is. Because like I said, she had she is just so talented. She has this amazing control of voice. Just listen to her sing the song Dream a Little Dream. Do you mean Contralto? What the fuck did I say? Controllo. Well, that's why I have my notes. <laughs> I think you mean contralto. It didn't correct me, so I'm going to controllo. I'm sure that's Spanish or something. Well, it's in there. <laughs> controllo it is. This is a Rolling Stones moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, she had her home that she opened like kind of as a sanctuary to other musicians like Joni Mitchell and Crosby, Stills and Nash. Just, just so right, man. Party house. No, for real. And like people just remark about her warmth, her friendliness, her wit. Keep in mind, she has 165 IQ, okay? Yeah, she's a, she she's genius. She is a sharp mind. But, so after Mamas and Papas, she has a very successful solo career. But for some reason, people in the industry and tabloids just can't let her be successful. That they, sounds familiar. Yeah. They insist to have to point out that she is successful despite her size. Furthermore... If she has a flop, they bring fat phobic name calling into the picture. To give you an example, here is just the first two opening sentences in a Time Magazine article dating to uh, 1969. Quote, four years ago, she hit the American scene in her size 50 muumuu, resembling a Hudson Hornet draped in one of Omar's tents. I don't know what that means. But look what happened to Mama Cass Elliot. After two years of dieting, she has shed more than 120 pounds, down from 290 to a mere 164. So is that all that fucking matters? Her dress size, a disgusting allegory about her appearance and like, how she has met your warped distinction of worth assigned by her like number. Like, let me show you the fruit of that rhetoric that she had to deal with. She was gearing up for a set of shows at Caesar Palace in Las Vegas. And I'm not sure if like she made this decision or if management is probably a combination of both. But she would put herself on a diet which consisted of her completely fasting, no eating, for four to five days. That's not healthy. And would only drink water. No. Causing her to lose 100 pounds in six months. No. That's 16 pounds in a month. That's not healthy. No, it is not. And the severe dieting caused her to develop throat and stomach issues. Yeah. Like, 
she was confined to her bed for three weeks. She also like tried to soothe it with cream because they didn't know it was tonsillitis, which caused her to gain weight very rapidly too. And I'm not saying that to shame her, but this is to show how fast of an acceleration and de- acceleration yeah. what that body takes. Um, but yeah, she had to be confined to her bed for three weeks as a result of this illness. And when it came time to have her first performance, people were like, don't go out there. You can cancel it. But she's like, no, I got to go out. And she just cannot sing. Yeah. Because of her throat issues. And they closed the show after like one or two. And the tabloids called it a Titanic disaster, pointing at her weight. It's so sad. Yeah. It's incredibly sad. Also, literally sad. nothing has changed. No. No, no, no. Exactly. I'm sure the skin was talking about Lizzo. Yes, it was. I have a whole section about that in here. <laughs> um, however, despite this disappointment, she keeps going. Um, she did television programs. She even had her own program called the Mama Cast Television Program. She's on, you know, Julie Andrews Hour, a bunch of other things, um, and also had albums and other performances, which I'm so glad that she kept doing that. Mm-hmm. But one interview I was reading from her daughter, Owen, you know, she always said her mom would put on a brave face because every single time they would make these, you know, fat jokes in jest, right? In good humor. And she would just have to stick through it. Yeah. And in 1974, in April of 1974, she collapsed on the Johnny Carson show. Doctors were quick to diagnose her as exhaustion, probably because they didn't want to know. Because that is very popular in a lot of plus size people. We have to fight to get actual doctors to do their fucking yeah. job. Um, anyway, um, what they didn't know is that the muscles around her heart had weakened because of extreme dieting. She was basically anorexic at that point. Yeah. She was fasting and then she would eat something for two days you cannot uh, she kept doing that according to her daughter she kept doing that yeah and on july 28th she's talking to michelle because she had this incredible show at this really famous um uh like theater like a carnegie hall so Mm -hmm. to speak in london and she was so excited because she was her career was finally where she wanted it to be and the next day she was found dead in her apartment um it was due to heart failure yeah and it was linked because of the extreme dieting. Yeah. So. You can't just not eat. No. But the tabloids can't let this poor woman rest in peace. Because instead, they said that she choked on a ham sandwich. Even Time Magazine, at the time of her death, published this tale, along with citing her height and weight when she joined the group. That is how they mourned her. That's ridiculous because Karen Carpenter literally died the exact same way. Yep. Like a year later and was treated so much differently in the headlines. Yep. Yeah. You know, like like you were saying, not much has changed. No, literally nothing's changed. Not much has changed. Like you were referencing, I was watching that Instagram live with Lizzo and she was crying. Uh, you know, and she's the embodiment of positivity mm-hmm. and she was even breaking down in tears due to comments that people were making about her new song mm-hmm. and calling her a bunch of fat phobic and racist tropes she is one of the strongest examples that we have in the media today of body positivity and yet she is human and those nasty phrases got to her 
And for me writing this, it's just a reminder of how society treats you if you're a bigger woman. It's not just the tabloids. It's the health industry. It's the pop culture this time. And you're just diminished based off of your appearances. So I hope we learn from this that we treat our artists with a lot more respect. Um, you know, because like Cass Elliot, like a lot of artists that we've covered who have died prematurely, these guys are like pouring their souls on stage. Yeah. And we need to uh, reciprocate appreciation back because it's just so hard on these guys. And, you know, there's just so much damage that can be done. Um, But I want to remember her for who she is as a person because she persevered through some absolute horrible hurt. I mean, constantly, day in and day out. When the interview I was watching in the U.K., they started by saying, the guy asked her, well, you're hesitant about doing interviews. Well, no shit. I wonder why. Yeah, when you get attacked every time you open your mouth. Yeah, every single time. But she just, you know, she was human. She wanted to have her career. She wanted to raise her daughter. But the industry would not let her be. Everything Mm. started with her weight and everything ended with her weight. Not who she was as a person. Mm So this has been an application, Leah. This has been an application to give Cass Elliot the respect that she actually deserves and to give her our coveted patron sainthood. Let's make her a saint. All right. You heard her here, folks, on our 50th episode. We got a new saint. Two we in got, a row. We got two saints in a row. Yeah. Bonnie but and Cass. Cass Elliot is joining our patron saints and John Phillips is joining our Lucifers. <laughs> who can burn in hell um just make a banishment list <laughs> yes banished bing crosby and john phillips. john phillips yes um but that's it like for the band like unfortunately like denny has passed too michelle is the last surviving that's member crazy. they weren't that long ago like yeah she, no she's 80 something that's crazy isn't that crazy it doesn't feel like it no because it still feels like 2000 to me um but yeah, I hope she's doing well. And like I said, I didn't cover as much music, but there's a lot to cover. I think we're at what? 53 minutes? Yeah. There was just so much to cover. So anyway, yeah. What you drinking? I'm drinking a Vienna shit. The whole thing poured out. Well, I was drinking oh, a no. Devil's Backbone O-Fest, which is a very suggestive name. Lager. <laughs> um, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> It's like O parentheses fest. Like, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? That's an apostrophe, but yes. <laughs> anyway, smooth, malty, with bready notes. Bready. Bready. It is now mostly on the floor because I guess you know. I have it down a little bit. At some point during this recording. Honestly, it blends in so nicely, I don't even notice. Yeah, it just looks like a shadow. Yeah, I have a gray carpet, and it just looks like a darker gray carpet now. Yeah. Well. Yep. What's the review? I have a review. Well, you gotta tell oh, me. Oh shit! Do you like it? Yeah, it's good. It's Devil's Backbone. I think I don't know if you said that. Yeah, it's Devil's Backbone, which they have their shop not too far from us. Yeah. God, they have great food. They have a great atmosphere. Yeah. L King just played there, but I didn't get to go see her. Ever in Nellysford. And they're in Nellysford on the Nelson One Fifty One. There's One lots of, of beer there. Favorite places to go in this world.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to leave us a review wherever you leave podcast reviews. If you leave it on Apple Podcasts, it will help us out a lot. Yes. Special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our website, shewillrockyou.com. There you'll find show notes, link to our socials, ways to contact us, and merchandising. Merchandising. And remember, don't do drugs. Please don't do drugs. Or force others to do drugs. Especially the latter. <laughs> <laughs>